The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. John chapter number 15, verse number 13, a powerful truth that was also prevalent in the lives of our founding fathers. Those colonial patriots, as they decided to put their all on the line and fight for the physical freedom and liberty that we can enjoy today as Americans, as citizens of this great country. I believe that they were seeking to follow the ultimate testimony and the ultimate example of what we find in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Our founding fathers did not know our names, but they knew by God's grace and according to His sovereign will that one day we would be alive. And they were not self-centered men fighting for themselves, but rather they were fighting for their family. They were fighting for freedom. They were fighting for, of course, friends and loved ones, but they were fighting for future descendants. George Washington, of course, he was the commander-in-chief, the general of the Continental Army. He said this, George Washington told his troops just days after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, he said, and I quote, the fate of the unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Let us therefore rely upon the goodness of that cause and the aid of the supreme being in whose hands victory is to animate and encourage us to great and noble actions. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray as we preach just for a few minutes on this concept, no greater love, that Lord, our hearts would be stirred. God, that you would just renew our perspective a little bit about our history and our past, but God, you would reignite Oh, just an enthusiasm in our heart, a a remembrance of what you did, Lord, on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Lord, I pray that you please just use these thoughts for your glory, and I pray that you would anoint our ears, Holy Spirit, as we listen, anoint my mind and, and my mouth as I just seek to be a conduit, a voice for you, a vessel you can use. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I believe that our founding fathers, and of course those colonial patriots, they realized what it meant to stand against the British crown. Of course, the British Empire was the greatest empire the world had ever known. As we mentioned in the Sunday School Hour, the sun never set on the British Empire. They understood the price they would have to pay if they failed in this fight for freedom. When our founding fathers began to stand and fight for their God-given and heaven-ordained liberties, they recognized that the Word of God made this evident. They realized that what they were fighting for was not something that they believed they needed to keep, but rather something that God had given unto them. Samuel Adams wrote in a pamphlet in 1772. It was printed in the thousands and it was spread across the 13 colonies. He made this statement as he was seeking to instruct and educate his fellow citizens. He said, the right to freedom being the gift of God Almighty The rights of the colonists may best be understood by reading and carefully studying the institutions of the great lawgiver and the head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written in the New Testament. He said, you want to know why we're fighting for freedom? You want to know why we should stand against tyranny? You read your Bible, and you'll see how that God has given unto each and every person gifts, certain rights, certain things that no government has the right 
or privilege to strip away from a people or deny a people, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of course, I have here a replica. Actually, the, um, the government let me borrow the f- official copy. No, I'm just joking. But I have here a replica of the Declaration of the United States. Of course, these men, as they put their names on the bottom, they were representing the people. They were delegates there in Independence Hall in Philadelphia. As they wrote their names to the bottom of this parchment, the end of this paper, they understood what they were doing. They realized that they would become the most wanted men of the world. They realized that they probably would lose everything they held dear. These were some of the most affluent men, some of the most well-to-do, some of the most wealthy men of the 13 colonies, but they were willing to give it all up for you and for me. I love what this document says, as you can begin to read, and I've already somewhat quoted from it. It said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, or just as plain and simple as you can see the nose on your face in a mirror, and it's obvious, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed or they are freely given by their creator. Now, what were they doing by making that statement, capital C, creator? They were believing that God was the author of life. They were believing not in simply the God of a coexist bumper sticker, as we referenced in the Sunday school hour, but they were acknowledging the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jehovah God, the God of heaven, almighty God, that they have been, that you have been freely given by the creator certain unalienable rights or certain things that should not be taken from you as a person. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights or to keep these rights safe, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, or any government that is going to infringe upon life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, gifts of God, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new governments, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem necessary, uh, shall seem most likely uh, to affect their safety and happiness. And I believe that we see something very important that we've forgotten about as a people here in America. Our founding fathers believe that government does not grant rights, but rather government has been instituted among men to guarantee those rights that heaven originally granted every single human being. I find it interesting that George Washington, if I could reference him again, he made this statement. The power under the Constitution will always be in the people. It is entrusted for certain defined purposes and for a certain limited period to representatives of their own choosing. And whenever it is executed contrary to their interest or contrary to the interest of the people or not agreeable to their wishes... Their servants can and undoubtedly will be recalled. Or if someone is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, according to the Constitution, we have every right to pull that person out of office. And a lot of times we think that just because somebody's up in Washington, D.C., well, they're making a career out of it. Rather, our founding fathers, the first president of the United States, acknowledged that those sitting in Capitol Hill ought to be servants. I think our perspective is a little different than what they originally instituted, wouldn't you say? You're probably familiar with Abraham Lincoln. He warned, don't interfere with anything in the Constitution. That must be maintained 
for it is the only safeguard of our liberties. Daniel Webster, he was a very influential politician and statesman in the middle of the 1800s. Actually, he was the one who gave the speech of dedication to the rotunda there in the Capitol in Washington, D.C. He made this statement, Our destruction, should it come at all, will be from the inattention of the people to their government. Thomas Jefferson said, On every question of construction, let us carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates, and instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, conform to the probable one in which it was passed. And instead of redefining our government and redefining what we believe that our founding fathers meant, let's go back and read what they said and just stick to it. Amen? Now, I know we're deviating from the topic of the message, but I just wanted to put that in there as, as much as I could. Amen? And hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you. Much more could be stated. I know that we're close to the Reagan Library, and I am praying, at, Lord, I would love to go. <laughs> and being this close, and hopefully we will. But he made the statement in the 1980s, we the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. I hold in my hand a very sacred document, the Declaration of Independence. It's the birth certificate of America that gave us, of course, that freedom, if you will, that sever the ties between uh, uh, the colonies and the British Empire. And as this document was being signed, uh, John Adams, the second president of America, he made this statement in his writings. This is what he believed. This is what his fellow uh, contemporaries, if you will, also agreed with. He made this statement. It is the will of heaven that the two countries should be sundered forever. A lot of times we get this twisted view of our founding fathers, or rather should I say we get a, a mixed up view of our founding fathers. These were statesmen. They were men settled in character and in thought. They were men who knew what they believed and why they believed it. They were not men who were like rabble-rousing ruffians, if you will, you know, missing teeth, just dirt everywhere and all fired up, grabbing the musket first, shooting first, and then asking questions later. These were men who exhausted every single means necessary to avoid conflict with Great Britain. There's 20, I believe, seven, 27 different ways in which the British government had violated the rights of the American citizens. Our founding fathers sent ambassadors and delegates. They sent letters. They even sent something called the Olive Branch Petition. I mean, that na name in and of itself shows that, hey, we do not want to fight. And Olive Branch, we're trying to make peace with you, but you have to understand that there is no taxation without representation. You need to understand that there's things that you have been doing and violating in which should not happen against a subject and a citizen of the British Empire and of the British Crown. Their backs were against the wall. There was only one of two choices. That was either to willingly become slaves, as they put it, or to resist tyranny by force. And you can read in their formal statements that they would make to the public, they made these words, the latter is our choice. Or we will fight. If that's what it must take, we will fight. 
We're familiar with Patrick Henry, aren't we? He's what I like to call the bulldog of the American Revolution. <laughs> and he said, uh, is life so sweet? Uh, I mean, man, that, w- that we're going to exchange it. And I'm paraphrasing that we would exchange it at the price of chains and of slavery. He said, forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Our founding fathers were men, as I just mentioned ago, they signed their name to that precious document. You know, there's a gentleman here, I'm going to see if I can find his name. Probably going to waste too much. There it is, Stephen Hopkins. It, it, looks, it looks very warbly, it looks very shaky. And as he, he was an older gentleman, and he, his hand shook a little bit, and as he was signing his name to the parchment, some of the founding fathers, they, you know, they noticed that, they, they didn't laugh or anything like that, but he, he was a go-getter, you know, and he was easily agitated of a character, if you know what I'm talking about. And he looked at him, he said, listen, it's okay. And he held his hand, he said, even though my hand is shaking, my heart is not. Benjamin Franklin said, gentlemen, we must all hang together, or we will all hang separately. (laughs) They understood that if they uh, went about this half-cocked, if you will, they went about this in and of themselves and their own ability, that they would fall flat on their face. And in the end of this birth certificate, the end of this document, this declaration, They made this statement. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states. Now, what were they talking about right there? What were they acknowledging? Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. This is what they meant. Lord, we believe this is your will. Lord, one of two options. Resistance or become slaves. Rebellion to tyranny is obedience to God. They believe that, as we mentioned in the Sunday school hour, that statement was emblazed, if you will, it was, it was sewn upon many of the banners and standards and flags that the militias and the Continental Army would go out and fight under. Another being, we have no king but King Jesus. And these were men who said, Lord, if for some reason our motive is wrong, if for some reason we are not doing what's right, we believe that we're following your will, we believe that we're doing what you've led us to do, and God, if we are wrong, please correct us. If necessary, chastise us and please evaluate our motives that we are not seeking to do this for some proudful cause. To put our name on a map. To put our legacy in a history book. Rather, we are doing this because you have ordained for us to do this. If we are wrong, please correct us, they're saying, and we'll get it right. But if they, if they are wrong, then please help us defend what is right. Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, said, God, we know this is out of our hands, and we are going to place it into yours. And please weigh what is going on, and please bless the side of the right. Of course, they believed that they were doing what was right. And in the end of this, sta- this document, I love the statement. You probably are very well familiar with what it says. If I could read it here. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance 
meaning an unwavering trust, a complete dependency, with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. If we have to give every single penny to this fight, we will. And while we're doing it, there's going to be no hesitation. While we're doing it, there's no, not going to be any second guessing. Rather, we are going to do it and we're going to depend upon the Lord every single step of the way. Time and again, our founding fathers, they issued times of prayer and fasting. And we alluded to some of that during the Sunday school hour. Many times uh, from, from that moment of what we mentioned in the Sunday school hour in, in September, early September of 1774, uh, they set a precedent of prayer and they wanted to acknowledge God in everything they said and everything they did. They wanted to make the right choice, something that God would be pleased with. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. These men certainly suffered for their stand. Five of the signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve of them had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons while fighting in the Continental Army, and another had two sons captured by the British. Nine others fought and died from wounds or hardships they experienced as they gave their last full measure for our freedoms. Specifically, a gentleman by the name of Carter Baxton, a representative from Virginia. He was a wealthy planner and trader. He watched his own ships be destroyed by the British Navy. He sold his home and all his properties to pay off his debts, and he died in poverty. Thomas McKean, another representative, he served in the Continental Congress throughout the war voluntarily without pay. Man, I believe if our... Current legislator was, had to serve that way. I wonder how many would stick around. Even after all his possessions were taken from him by the British, he still stayed and he served. He wrote to John Adams on November 8, 1779, that he was being, and I quote, hunted like a fox by the enemy. He was compelled to move his family more than five times in just a few months from hiding place to hiding place. Seventeen of the men who signed this declaration, they lost everything. Now imagine that. They were homeless and penniless. They lost everything they owned. I wonder if that's the kind of dedication that we have as Americans today. I wonder today if that's the kind of heart and willingness that we're, uh, we would do to go forward. And not necessarily in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. That we would go to any lengths necessary to help those who are in bondage of sin that we would go to any lengths necessary to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward, that we would go to any lengths necessary and be the person and and really the instrument, the vessel that God can use to further his heavenly kingdom here upon the earth. Oh, that we would have a similar heart as the founding fathers. That we would understand ultimately, and and this is what I believe they, they understood, that what they had was not their own. Every good gift... And every perfect gift, where does it come? Well, from my own hard work, from my own ingenuity, from the things that I am able to successfully do in and of myself, my investments, my labor, no. And I understand the, the, the thought that's tethered with that, but ultimately, what does the Bible teach in James? Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from above, cometh down from the Father of lights. Amen? 
as the Bible says, cometh down from God. And they understood if this is what God has called us to do, then he will equip us, he will provide for us, and if we have to give everything we have that God originally gave us, it's worth it. You'll find in their lives that none of these men, none of these men, none of these men defected. None of these men violated their pledged word as they signed their name to the document. Of course, these men were excellent examples of what so many unnamed colonial patriots did as well. I mean, imagine it, being at Valley Forge, seeing these men with literally hardly anything to eat, seeing, and not just, you know, some fired-up imagination to really be compelling as an American with patriotism, but an actual account of watching the soldiers march and seeing blood in the snow from feet that had no shoes. Oh, it's just a painting about Washington praying, some crazy religious, you know, guy that's trying to make something out of nothing. No. But to hear of that uh, account that the Quaker Mr. Potts gave as he was riding through his property and was kind of surveying his land and going through his farm, if you will, on that cold, uh, snowy, wintry day uh, close to Valley Forge and in the stillness of that that winter air and as the snow was quietly falling to the ground, uh, as he rode on the back of his horse, he could hear, as it seemed, uh, a sound of a man in distress as if it was like an animal caught in a trap that was howling what he described as a plaintive sound. Or a guy that was, if you will, alone and crying out for help. Trying to get the attention of someone. And ultimately, when Mr. Potts quietly noticed a horse and a figure of a man there in the snow throughout the trees, he quietly got down from his saddle and he began to go through the trees and look, and there it was, seeing George Washington on his knees, praying out to Almighty God, crying out for God's help and strength, for God to provide, for God to protect his men. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, here today, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. My heart is overwhelmed by the love that was shown by our forefathers, by those continental patriots, those men who decided to leave the comforts of home so that we can enjoy the comforts that we have today. Many other stories could be given. There's a gentleman by the name of John Hart. He was a signer of the Declaration. John Hart was actually an independent Baptist. It's amazing how many Bible-believing Christians that God used in the formulation of this nation. Actually, John Hart was a man who financed the the building construction of of an independent Baptist church close to his home. Where the British were landing troops in New Jersey was just a few miles from his own plantation, if you will, his own properties. And as soon as he put his name there upon that document, of course, replicas were being made and it was being sent across the 13 colonies. As soon as he could find leave, he left Philadelphia and he rode back to his own home. As he got to his house, he discovered that his wife was, of course, they didn't have cell phones back then, or email, you know. Even snail mail was a little difficult, I think, but... I was trying to be facetious there. I don't know if that would generate a laugh or not. It did not look like it generated one. So, moving on. Amen. It's because the message is so serious. So You probably don't know what's, what's serious and what isn't. But you know, John Hart, when he got home, he discovered his wife there, sick, very sick, bedridden. 
And as he was home, he began to hear the sound of the flute and the drum of the British armies coming to his property since he was one of those hunted men, those wanted men, a bounty on his head. And as the British came and raided his properties, they, they, they burnt his fields and they burnt down his gristmill. And Mr. Hart, he had 13 children, a number of servants, and he, he sent them all. He said, please, run for your lives, run into the woods. He went to go grab his wife out of the bed to try to take her with him, but could not. And, and she begged her husband, leave me and you go, your country needs you. I can't imagine the emotions. I can't imagine that moment of a, uh, as a husband and a father, of that kind of a crisis that he had to face. A real person just like you and me had to face. One of our founding fathers. As the British came and burnt down his home, you can gather the conclusion of what may have happened to his wife. For more than a year, he lived in the forests and caves on the run to evade capture. He returned to the ruins of his house, of course, to find that his wife had died and his children were nowhere to be found. He died in 1779 without ever seeing any of his family again. Many other stories could be given. But praise the Lord for this demonstration of the true meaning of patriotism. Having a devoted love, a support, a defense for one's country and its citizens. And ladies and gentlemen, you better mark it down that these were men who would stand and pledge allegiance to the flag and not sit while the national anthem was being played. These men were not turncoats or traitors or trying trying to advance some kind of an nonsense cause, but these were men who believed that freedom was on the line, that this was something that God wanted them to do. It was the will of heaven that the two nations be sundered forever, and they ultimately were going to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that he left the comforts of his home to defend, if you will, and fight for the liberty of unborn millions and for people who were in captivity. They decided to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. If you were not in the Sunday school hour, we mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter number 4. There the two rhetorical questions are being asked. And God is, I believe, through his word, trying to show us the secret of national greatness. That any country could enjoy the blessing of heaven if, number one, God had the preeminence. One nation under God, in God we trust. We took, what, 40 minutes to talk about that. And number two, how how that God's word must have the priority. And these were men who believed in the principles and precepts of the word of God. That's not me blowing smoke, that's documented history. And these were men who grew up in school learning from the Bible and learning Bible verses. And these things were ingrained in their heart and they understood how that... I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you, shall make you free. The Bible says, and we'll conclude here this morning. I have no idea what the time is, but I'm feeling that it's close to closing time. I left my phone down there, so at what time is it? Somebody tell me. Don't worry about it? Okay, great. You can, whoever said that, everybody's looking. I'm like, what did he say? We're going to find you in the back alley. <laughs> I'm just teasing. John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. 
if we could in conclusion just reflect upon that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That Jesus said in John 14, 6, just a chapter earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if we, as we transition talking about our physical freedom and the sacrifice that they made and the last full measure of devotion that these men gave and take a hard cut, if you will, for the sake of time and just jump right into the spiritual application of this verse and understanding the love of our Heavenly Father, uh, what love, uh, how great the Father's love, how wonderful the Father's love that it is that He hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, as the Bible says in 1 John chapter number 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what you've done, (laughs) whosoever believeth in Him should not perish or will not die and be cast into outer darkness, will not die and be cast into the lake of fire, into hell, but have everlasting life. And praise God that He came born to die. We just celebrated Christmas, didn't we? And the reason for that cradle was the cross. And Jesus was born, yes, and he was a great teacher. (laughs) He was a phenomenal miracle worker that just literally, men were amazed. Surprised at the awesomeness of his power. And yes, he was this and that and the other. But ladies and gentlemen, he came for one reason ultimately, and that was to seek and to save those who were lost. And he was here upon this earth, uh, to die upon that cruel tree as we sang about the power of the cross, as we sang about how deep the Father's love and and how that we can have an opportunity to go to heaven, not through our own works, uh, but for by grace are ye saved through faith. That salvation is a gift of God. The Bible, of course, is very clear to show that the way to heaven is not a Baptist way or a Catholic way, or a Methodist way, or whatever way you want to put in there, but rather salvation is a Bible way. And if you notice, you know, all <laughs> religions say do. You've got to do something to earn, to, to get the chance to go to heaven, but rather the Bible says done. And how is this made possible? But by the great love, the glorious love, the wondrous love that God showed us there upon the cross. Maybe there's someone here today that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Of course, no man is guaranteed another moment, another day. And sure, I know that we have plans and goals and aspirations. And as even Pastor mentioned, we may even have resolutions. Some things that we've decided we desire to do this year, but no man is guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And God forbid something tragic was to happen. But if it was, where would you be in eternity? You know for sure that you're going to heaven. And what a tremendous, and I say this in a reverential way, what an awesome thing it is as a Christian. That we don't have to hope or guess or, oh, I believe I'll that I'm going to heaven, but I can hear and hear. No. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that these things have been written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And I pray today that as we conclude this morning's service, this God and country revival, that our hearts will be renewed 
that our hearts would be refreshed. That we would remember, man, we'd get fired up. We would be so thankful for the sacrifice of our founding fathers, but also the sacrifice of our Heavenly Father by giving His own Son. And I'm going to conclude with this. This is the trap that we fall into. Are you ready? So many times we lose an appreciation for our salvation, but also we lose an appreciation for the sacrifice that was made. And I pray today that the testimony and the example and the character and the legacy of our founding fathers as Americans would stir us and motivate us to be the effective Americans and Christians that we ought to be today. So that we can continue to see this country march forward and the gospel of Jesus Christ can clearly go abroad, not only in this land, but around the world. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in. Invitation.